0: Hello, oh, dear listener, and welcome to our weekly fireside chat. Minus the fire and sides. We're mostly front to front. Yes, very yeah, true. In a, well, any connection between two points in space is a line. So, today's episode um, number... Five. Number five of Thank You Places um, features an interview with Kat Alex Goodrow, our intrepid, industrious, illustrious director for Hamlet with the Ghostlight Players.
1: Yes. Uh, Kat is awesome. I'll start there. And in the episode when we were planning the interview, we very much wanted to avoid the kinds of questions that Kat gets asked a lot frankly as the director and the president of a community theater company.
0: Why Shakespeare? Why Shakespeare? Why Shakespeare? How do you pick a cat? How? How do they learn? How those lines? How those lines? They talked, they lines. talked for almost three hours. Talked. Three hours. Why did you, you start company? company.
1: Why? 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 I really want to play scary circus music under us asking all those questions.
0: (laughs) I I don't know if I can handle that, Jacob. Well, listeners, the following episode is not nearly as ominous or haunting as that bit was. We apologize for featuring your nightmares and offer you our congratulations for appearing in your sweetest dreams. There are so many
1: sentences where you finish and then your face immediately contorts
0: into horror
1: at the words that you just made yourself say. I...
0: I... I got nothing. I'm... I don't know. It's a good thing this isn't a video podcast. For me, at least. For you, dearest listener. Maybe not, but also probably yes.
1: Um... What was your favorite part of the interview, Chris?
0: Um, I liked the bit where she talked nicely about us. We asked her some weird questions. She answered as Horatio. That was horatio awesome.
1: And stick around after the interview to see how she scored on the Horatio quiz.
0: Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. It will be graded. It has been graded yes it will have been is was graded
1: do have will have has we any more to do
0: do ado do no do so without any further ado episode five of thank you places so my name is
2: cat alex Goudreau and i am the director i'm also the artistic director and president of ghostlight players
1: I'm going to make all of the Shakespeare nerds cringe in their leather chairs with their smoking jackets by quoting all the world's a stage, super, super famous Shakespeare thing. But more impressive is the stage is a whole world. So that's my clumsy way of asking about universe building um, in the context of making a production. And how do you, how do you accomplish that? Especially given the technical constraints, in Ghostlight in general and at the fringe, where we're even more pared down out of necessity? Mm.
2: So, when we founded Ghostlight, we made a very specific choice to do very stripped down, very simplified technical theater. It's based a lot off the sort of Grotowski method, which is this idea of sort of a, a poor theater, a stripped down theater. And the goal of that was twofold. One, it saves us a lot of money, but it also forces us to focus on the performances. There is no sort of hiding behind the spectacle. There is no dazzling your audience with flashy lights and sets and costumes. It's all about what is happening on the stage. So even though there are times when we do employ set pieces or we do have some fantastic costumes that come from our costume designers, we never rely on that. So this makes it particularly interesting for me to direct Shakespeare in this way. Shakespeare, you know, when he was writing, he was writing for a, a very stationary set. You know, there was no lights. It was sunlight. So he wrote his plays to be descriptive, in the text. Everything you need to know about a scene or a character or the world is in the text somewhere. That's one of the reasons why there's always such beautiful and interesting language around the setting. Uh, there's a point in, the, in Hamlet, in fact, when Horatio begins to describe the sunrise. And it's the, it's the sunrise just after they've encountered the ghost. So they've had this completely harrowing night and Horatio has this beautiful description of the sunrise. And you can say, oh, well, you know, Shakespeare uses all that fancy language because he wants to describe, just describe the world or that's how people talked back then. But really it has to do with Horatio being so relieved that the sun is coming up. So it tells you sort of what time of day it is, but it also tells you how he feels about it and what sort of sunrise it is. That the sun's sort of coming up very slowly, but it's like the russet-clad hills. Like, you get this sense of the world. So... By not using fancy sets and lights and things like that, which is even more important at Fringe, because we have none of that, and we have 10 minutes to set up and five minutes to break down, so there's just no time for fanciness, it makes us rely even more on the text. And so when we are building the show, myself and the cast, we do a lot of work on the text to start with, as Chris is very familiar, and as are you, Jacob, that We spend a lot of time analyzing the text to figure out what world it is that we're inhabiting. And then once we all have the same understanding of what that world looks like and feels like, I do a lot of work with the cast on how do you move within this world? How do you relate to this world? This world that the audience can't see, but they need to experience right alongside you. So... There's a lot of sort of sensory work, movement work, figuring out, you know, when a body is cold, it behaves in a specific way and not just the sort of, oh, you know, shivering, like rubbing your arms, that sort of thing, like people react differently or when it is dark how do people behave when it is dark because you can never have it completely dark on stage right because then the audience can't see what's going on so you need to allow them to see a little bit but the actors have to behave as though for them it is dark and so we do a lot of work around that and the cast works really hard to portray the environment in a very authentic way without any input <laughs> so it all has to come from them and that comes from a shared understanding um, that we build together
0: there's there's a lot of work um specifically on aspects that aren't generally thought of as speaking the speech as i gave it trippingly on the tongue um, all that movement um and and setting work and you you really tend to build a real ensemble cast really cohesive units um, so How would you say you go about building that Mm. from auditions all the way through?
2: Uh, Yeah, the process, I like that that you sort of included that idea of of building a cast because that process definitely starts in auditions. When I'm preparing to direct a show, you know, you read the script a million times and you try and come up with ideas and thoughts and how this is going to all fall out. But I like to come into auditions with as much of an open mind as possible. I do my very best, and it's actually getting easier the more I direct, I do my best to not have a picture in my head of any character, including like actors that I've worked with before. Generally, when we're casting, we don't do this by design, but it seems to fall out this way, that usually our casts are like a 50-50 blend of returning people and new people. So we, we... are continually sort of getting an influx of wonderful new people and maintaining relationships with people that we've worked with before. But even that, even when I know so-and-so is coming to audition, I don't put that image in my head because I want to be surprised. So for me, auditions are all about sort of seeing what people bring to the table, seeing what the surprises are, who's the person that I've never met before who walks in the door and I'm like, that person's amazing, like, I want to work with them, and what they bring to it as individuals. I think a lot of times, particularly at the community theater level, actors are under the impression that directors want them to become something else in order to portray a role. So they are supposed to be, I don't know, sexier or more athletic or more whatever the leading man or the leading woman sort of, stereotype is and i never want that when i cast an actor it's because i want them and i want their energy and i want their individuality and and their completely unique way of of interacting with the world and the script and the story so when i'm auditioning people i'm looking for that i'm looking to see you know who who are you and then i do a lot of um i I put a lot of effort into figuring out chemistry because particularly with the Shakespeare shows, it's an ensemble cast. And I like that small ensemble cast. I like people who can work together, who can, you know, spend hours and hours at a time, you know, in an un-air-conditioned church hall, you know, going through the text and going through the motions and doing all of the hard, hard work that goes into putting on this kind of show. So I do a lot of stuff around, a lot of work around building the ensemble from a point of how people interact and get along and who's going to be the kind of actor who contributes to the cast. Um, not just, they're a great actor, but they're sort of acting in a bubble. You know, they're, they're on their own. I want people who are contributing, um, into the mix. And then once we get that cast, then it's a lot of getting people to know each other and, and getting people comfortable working together and realizing that I do want them and their unique way of interacting with, with the text. Um, one of the benefits of doing the Hamlet show that we're doing for the Fringe is that the cast is the exact same cast as the Hamlet production from last year. So a lot of that groundwork has already been done, which makes my job a little bit easier. And then throughout rehearsals, there's a lot of that building work, putting people together, doing exercises together, figuring out different ways to approach different scenes, letting actors talk to each other, letting actors talk to me, um, and, and empowering them to make choices and, make all kinds of choices and make mistakes and say, okay, that didn't work. So let's try something else instead of being tentative or afraid. So it's a lot of sort of giving people permission to do the thing that they really want to do and then letting them do it. Um, so that's a lot of how I approach building a cast.
1: Let the audio record reflect a large sweeping hand motion with that (laughs) last sentence.
2: Yes, I do. I talk with my hands so much. I'm so sorry. (laughs) No, hopefully cool. it's coming across in the in the audio
1: first of all i just want to mention as a little teaser that that last topic you were talking about building the the cast ensemble and and building it so that people fit together is something we'll talk more about in a later episode with our stage manager kim Boshiman. Uh because she is a guru of such things she has much knowledge it's true she has all the knowledge and you have to climb a mountain to reach her
2: <laughs> yes <laughs> Too.
1: <laughs> so something that we've been talking about all along because it's just glaringly there is just how many things about this production of Hamlet are unique. Uh, it's, mm. it's our first time going to a festival, obviously, and our first time traveling abroad. <laughs> it's our first time revisiting a show we've already done. It's our first time so... <laughs> Spending
2: I, this much money, right.
1: are, <laughs> yes, and raising this much money, yes. Um, what are challenges that you face as a director in general, and what are some new, maybe surprising obstacles that that you've come in contact with doing this project?
2: As a director in general, the, some of the challenges that I face are, it, there's a range. So there's there's coming up with with a vision and an idea that is enough to sort of get everybody going and heading in the same general direction, but is flexible and fluid enough to allow actors and, and other designers and artists to contribute to it um, so that it's not like, no, don't. Touch the thing, you know, like don't. No, this is it. It's complete. Um, it's my baby, yeah, exactly. And, and being willing to share, share the baby with everybody, <laughs> um, which it's that's hard. You know, you got to really practice. Humility, you've got to practice being able to say, I don't know, or let's try and see what happens. So, and that's a challenge, I think, for anybody, particularly for someone in a directorial position, because the general impression that most people seem to have is that directors like have all the answers. So being okay with saying, no, I, I don't have all the answers, but we're going to figure this out, that takes practice. So mm. that's, that's definitely a challenge. There's also challenges like scheduling you know how to get all the people in the room at the same time you know at the community theater level it's it's really hard everybody has day jobs everybody has some people have night jobs people have families and lives that go on around this and so carving out the time and figuring out the schedule and what scenes can be rehearsed on which nights so there's like this whole range of challenges that go from sort of artistic and personal all the way to administrative with this project in general uh or more specifically with the fringe project the the time constraints the technical constraints and the travel It's Mm. like adds a whole nother level. Um, We've actually brought on a a team of producers for this one of which, you know, Jacob, you are, you are a member of that team. So, but we have, you know, producer in charge of travel and in charge of the cast and making sure that everybody gets where they're going and like luggage arrives (laughs) and how do we pack the costuming What set pieces can we bring, which is basically like almost none, you know, (laughs) like what props can we bring? And we have found out from our venue, we're going to be at the space on the mile, um, which is great. It's this beautiful venue. We're incredibly excited, but they have rules about like no liquids. So if you've ever seen Hamlet, there's quite a bit of liquid in it in terms of there's blood and there's (laughs) poison. And like we we can't do any of that now so like how do we do that how do you do blood without being able to use stage blood how do you poison someone with no nothing in the cup like how do we make that still feel so real and visceral in the moment for our audience members without those things And how um, do
1: you get through a production of hamlet without the famous crotch fruit <laughs>
2: yes yes that's something that you know we've had to talk with with uh clinton about is you know i i if we're if we have crotch fruit it has to be fake so you can't actually eat the crotch fruit
0: or he has to commit really hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i don't think we
2: want to poison our our our, our hamlet mm-hmm. um right off the bat so there's all sorts of different challenges that this particular production has um and but on the flip side, it's an incredibly special endeavor. Uh, it's, it's, as Jacob said, it's the first time we've done all sorts of things and it's an opportunity to delve deeper into this show with this cast who are all just exceptional human beings and wonderful actors, which is honestly the, the reason why we started looking at this in the first place was we finished our run last year and said, It seems so sad like we're just getting started it feels like with this we've just kind of got our our hands wrapped around this thing and now it's over um and all of these wonderful people who are are there are not a lot of people i would travel with particularly internationally (laughs) but this this cast and this crew i'm very comfortable and excited doing that with these people so it's it's very special for all its challenges
0: We'll see how you feel after the airplane ride. Yes,
2: indeed. I'm going to sleep through the airplane ride. Are you kidding me? Oh, sleep. Dramamine. (laughs)
1: Sleep is a nice thing. Mm. Be careful, though. You might dream.
0: (laughs) Oh. 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 Wah, (laughs) wah. That was... mm.
2: I'm not shuffling off the mortal coil. I'm just taking a nap. Let's be clear.
0: Please do not die (laughs) on the airplane. Right? That is my biggest piece of advice. (laughs) So you mentioned uh, the sort of the idea as jumping point mm-hmm. um, where you, you you have to have something in the beginning for everyone to sort of latch onto and then branch off of the, mm-hmm. the soil to put our roots into. Mm-hmm. So how do you develop a theme like that or an idea for a Shakespeare show?
2: It's really hard. <laughs> there are some shows honestly, that are easier when you're talking about, or were easier for me, I should say, in terms of Shakespeare. So like the first Shakespeare we did was Midsummer Night's Dream and we did it in a a fairly traditional setting because I wanted to highlight this idea of magic. In the world, and how magic can exist, and what it does when you sort of open yourself up to that. So we had fairies with wings, and it was all like lots of bowers, and and it was lovely. So like that was fairly easy, and and midsummer tends to be a, a simpler show. Um, so there are other shows that are harder. Um, sometimes I just get an idea, like when we did um, the Scottish play, when we did Mackers. It was, I just had this idea of post-apocalyptic, you know, a world that was completely torn apart where everybody had reverted back to tribes, which was basically what the original play, how the original play that time period, that's what was going on in Scotland at the time was it was clans. So I wanted to sort of go back to a time, but keep modern elements. So we had handguns and we had, you know, rock music and lots and lots of blood and it was a very violent world and that just kind of came to me as an idea something i wanted to explore um romeo and juliet when we did that that actually we did that with two women in the lead roles and set it in modern times and made it about marriage equality and love and same-sex relationships and the intersection of same sex relationships in the church and family and how everybody dealt with that. Um, and that came about honestly from, from just going through the script and seeing the line where Romeo says to his buddy, um, Benvolio, Hey, I, uh, in, in faith, I do love a woman and it's supposed to be a joke in the original script, but I was like, if Romeo's a woman, then that's her coming out to her friend, and what does that do to the rest of the script? So sometimes it's like that. Hamlet has been harder because it's Hamlet, first of all. It's like, it's Hamlet. So just like doing it in general was like a thing. Um, and so when we started working through it with the cast, I had seen um, another uh, piece that utilized um, these movable walls in a really interesting way. And it started me thinking about sort of the madness inherent and um, how everybody in this place in Denmark is observed and under scrutiny and the footing is constantly shifting around them. So we started going down this idea of a maze and people sort of interacting with the world in a very sort of uh, not in a straight line, like nothing was in a straight line. And we layered on top of that, the mystical elements of not just the ghosts and the sort of supernatural, but also this element of the players. And we took the player characters um, who arrive in the middle of the play and turned them into these sort of meta characters that were engaged in all aspects of this story. Um, And that really grew out of a lot of work with the cast. For this production, actually, I wanted to make it a little more, I don't know, relevant. I don't know if that's the right way to put it, but I just had this idea when I was looking at the new script. So the new script is an hour and a half long. That's basically cutting it in half for time purposes. And it compresses everything and makes everything so much more heightened, even more heightened than it usually is. So I was rereading this new script and I thought, everybody is vying for some sense of control in their lives. And the goal seems to be for everybody, even even characters like Ophelia. I think the only exception would be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Everybody's vying for power and some element of control over their lives. And so I started thinking about what people do when there is a power imbalance and what people do are willing to do in order to gain power for themselves. And that doesn't necessarily mean just like power as in, you know, um Mephistophelian like oh I'm gonna you know screw over this person and I'm gonna raise to power and you know not that kind of thing but even just the power to protect your family like Polonius the father figure in the play he does an awful lot in an attempt to have the ability to protect his family so it's not just sort of nefarious power grabbing although that exists for sure in the story it's Everyone and who doesn't have power, and what does that do, right? Like, what does that do to people when you are stripped of your power or you never had any power to begin with, and you become part of this larger story where people are struggling and battling and doing horrendous things to each other in an attempt to gain more power? What does that do to us as people? What does that do to our society? And I think Hamlet, in some ways, if you're looking at it from that vantage point, is very much a cautionary tale of, you know, if you are going to sacrifice your principles in order to have control over other people, this is what ultimately is going to happen. You know, you may, you may become king for a while, but at the end of the day, it, it all ends in sort of blood and tears and, and nothing truly good can come out of that so that's kind of that's a very long answer to your
1: question and i think it actually led into jacob's question it did and it sort of gave me um how do you know that it led into my question okay um sorry uh it it's interesting because often we think of plays and stories which play as a kind of story Mm. as having a moral sort of like a neat little bow like here is the message um but when you were talking about your concept for hamlet more than statements you brought up a lot of questions Mm. do you find that you are more do you find that you are leaving more question marks or periods at the ends when you're giving a show to the audience and is it hard not to um, punctuate? Pun, well, hard not to... Um...
2: Answer the question? Right. Okay. Uh, for me, as a director,
1: I used to
2: be much more in the category of, here is the answer, <laughs> and here is the, here's the end. And then um, I gave myself the freedom to not have to answer every question. And that's very freeing, I think, as an artist, and it's very freeing, I think, to cast members as well, to actors, that they don't have to find that neat little bow. Um, So actually, I think every show that I've done for the last at least two years, maybe even before that, has been very much open questions. You know, what becomes of this person? Can... Can love survive? I just finished a show um, that both of you were involved in, um, Love's Labor's Lost. And the the question that we decided to sort of leave the audience with is, is can, can this one relationship that's genuine in the entire show between Barone and Rosalind, can that survive? Can that become something real in the face of all of the lies and all of the games, and, and all of the, the sort of um, disconnects between these two groups of people. And so, that to me is more interesting. And it's more interesting to me as an audience member as well. So, I, I find I tend to direct shows that I would like to see. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, when we did Pippin last summer, it was the same thing, you know, Pippin as a show kind of leaves you on a question mark anyway and we really embraced that and and i feel like shakespeare gives us all kinds of opportunities to raise questions and then let the audience answer them you know if the show that i am directing sparks any kind of conversation afterwards you know whether people loved it hated it whatever if it can spark a conversation and make people talk and and it doesn't have to be you know the answers to the universe but if it's getting people talking and they're, they're looking at things in a slightly different way or having some sort of dialogue about what they just saw and experienced, then I feel like I did, I did the thing. I did my job.
1: Um, it's almost like you could uh, end each show with a prompt discuss. Yes!
2: <laughs> I wish they would. It's yeah. one of the reasons why we started Talkbacks no, after just... our Shakespeare.
0: Now I'm just picturing Quentin sitting up after dying as Hamlet going, discuss. And then <laughs> questions? Then comments?
1: All right. You may have just heard like the new twist to <laughs> Hamlet. Congratulations, podcast audience. It's the opposite of zombie Juliet. <laughs> um, do we want to play a, a, a game type thing? It's not really a game. Sure. It's, it's We've brief. got like a
2: minute. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's do a lightning round.
1: Okay, do we want to do the thing as the character or
0: do it from lines from Hamlet? I don't. Do you know many lines from Hamlet? I,
2: I know I know some of the lines from Hamlet. Yes. Let's do it. Let's let's. You're gonna yeah. test my knowledge. Okay. Yeah, let's do it as a character. You can you can test Just Because my
1: knowledge. of the, the, it'll work better. if <laughs> Okay. Pick a character.
2: Uh, me pick a character.
1: Pick any character in Hamlet.
2: Okay, Horatio.
1: All right ratio and you being you cat and you the podcast audience i imagine are familiar with James Lipton and inside the actor studio and he had these questions. Oh, okay. So 10 questions that. Oh my gosh. So okay. Um i thought it would be neat for you who sort of guide the actors to finding the voices of the characters um could uh, just step inside one of their brains for a moment? Sure. Um, and we can we can rattle through these
0: questions with you, awesome. uh, Horatio. We'll
2: see what happens.
0: All right. Number one. What is your favorite word? Russet. What is your least favorite word? Duel. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally?
2: Philosophical debates. At college with my friends in Wittenberg.
1: Um, what turns you off? And I assume the same adverbs apply. I hope.
2: Um, uh, unctuous kiss asses.
1: <laughs> Anyone in
0: particular?
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is your favorite curse word? Preferably in Latin.
2: Preferably in Latin?
0: You are a classic scholar, Horatio. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're <not gonna> curse <laughs> a i will
2: i will go with uh phi which has a modern equivalent that i will not use
1: uh what sound or noise do you love
2: uh uh running water what, waterfalls or rivers
0: what sound or noise do you hate
2: oh uh um uh church bells
1: What profession, other than your own, um, so other than studentry, which (laughs) is a word I didn't make up, Mm -hmm. would you like to attempt scholarship?
0: No. Uh,
2: What is it called? Um, uh, Horse trainer. Hmm. Husbandry.
0: Husbandry. Hmm. What profession would you not like to do?
2: Politician.
0: Hmm.
1: And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You told his story well. It's mysterious. If you
0: haven't seen the <laughs> If first, you haven't
2: seen the show, I'm yes. It, it might be mysterious, but Hamlet's last request to his best friend Horatio is to tell his story.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, that's pretty much a direct paraphrase. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't I wasn't <laughs> oh, an earnest. Oh, oh. Well, be Jacob, <laughs> not Ernest. Listen, we all
1: love the song... Who lives? Who dies? Who tells your story? Just as Shakespeare wrote it all those years ago. I thought you were going to reference the Ernest movies. <laughs> no, if anything, I would re- reference Oscar Wilde. Do
0: you have <laughs> any final thoughts?
2: Any final thoughts? Now, I now I do want to like play a game where like people hit me up with quotes and I have to figure out who which character it is from Hamlet just to test my knowledge. But um, oh, so something that's interesting for all you podcast listeners to imagine is that because we're going overseas and we don't really have the option of not performing if somebody gets sick or injured or god forbid there's some sort of emergency we've actually put in place understudies for this performance for souls yes and jacob is one such understudy and Actually, so am I. And that actually came from last year when we were doing our educational tour. Michelle, who plays Gertrude, got sick one day and couldn't perform. And I was literally the only woman present who could take over the role. So it was a a trial by fire, and I decided not to do that to ourselves again this year. So this time we're all around, we're actually practicing as understudies. Even
1: better. Yeah.
2: One minute, please.
1: Thank you, Juan.
0: And thank you for listening to Thank You Places, hosted by us, Us, Chris J. M. Maloney and Jacob C. McDonald. Today's guest
1: was Cat Alex Gaudreau, our illustrious, industrious director. Both work,
0: yeah. Music written and produced by Four Paws. Special
1: thanks to the First Church in Marlborough for the use of their space for recording. And to Jillian and Ariel Zucker.
0: Jillian and Arielle Zuckerman? Close enough. Close enough.
2: This has been a production of Ghostlight, Ghostlight players.
0: players.
1: A non-profit, a non-profit theater f- troupe from Alvaro, Marlboro, Massachusetts. Massachusetts.
2: If you liked what you heard here, you'll, you'll love, love the, other
1: the
0: other things we make. Visit www.ghostlightplayers.com
1: or find us on the newfangled social media at, at players.
0: Bye. Ciao. Exit stage. Do you Remember
1: me or whatever.